You know, during this Christmas uh, season, we've been thinking about uh, God speaking to us. You know, what would God say in light of all that you've been dealing with and we've been dealing with together? I highlighted uh, five different words. Um, We talked about Christmas is um, hope and that Christmas is joy. Uh, Christmas is love. Christmas is peace. That's what we're talking about in the Christmas Eve service. And then Christmas Day is certainly Christmas is Christ. So Christmas is love. So I thought today, uh, what good is, you know, Christmas story if it's void of God and his glory? You know, it's not just a secular thing that's going on. I mean, what's the worth of peace on earth if it's not rooted in the truth of Christ's birth? What's the benefit of uh, discussing the joy of the season if we don't fix our hearts on the real reason that Christ came? See, Christmas is more than just the story of a baby born in a manger. It's more than a poor fiancé engaged to a humble virgin teenager. It's more than wise men who are bringing gold and frankincense and myrrh. It's more than nativity scenes. It's the coming of the Messiah. The fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies, the prophecy of the suffering servant and all his accomplishments. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, commissioned to abandon his position in heaven and literally set aside his attributes in full submission to the Father's will. The word manifested in the flesh, the fullness of God expressed in Jesus emptying himself. Uh, The image of the invisible God, the Bible says, the radiance of the Father's glory and holiness, but retaining his humanness to empathize with our pain. You know, Jesus was unjustly crushed, chastised, cursed, shamed, mocked, adorned with a crown of thorns, disgraced, but still facing the grave, all to fulfill the Father's will, to come and to give himself in our place and to receive the the full fury of God's judgment upon himself. Really, Christmas, such a monumental mark for all mankind as we see this Christ that has come to us. Christmas is the condescending, the coming down to us, the incarnation of the holy God made in the likeness of men, a child born to be savior, to save the world from our sins. He's the offspring of the virgin's womb, the Christ, the God, God's only son, fully God, yet fully man. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. Christ, the newborn king, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Christmas, hallelujah. Christmas is love. Today I wanna wanna tell you that Christmas is love. I, uh, a little girl, about five years old, Uh, She is trying to prepare a gift for her dad there at home one afternoon, just the two of them together. She asks for a large box and she gets it and then she goes around and asks for paper and tape and then she goes into her room and begins to to get this package prepared. And uh, after a little while, she comes out and she says, I need more paper. And so she's got all this paper and tape and dad is moaning, knowing that she's putting all this together. Uh, She spends quite 
quite a bit of time in there. And then eventually she brings this box out. It's got paper and tape all over it. And she's so excited. And she says, Dad, I have this gift for you. And uh, I need you to open it now. And he says, no, no, we'll wait, wait for Christ. Oh, no, no, I can't wait. I can't wait. You got to open it. So he tears through the paper and opens this box. And he looks in and he says, honey, it's empty. And he, she says, no, 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 dad. I spent all afternoon blowing kisses into that box to tell you how much I love you. That's kind of how Christmas is, isn't it? It's God expressing his love to us. One of the um, greatest theologians of of the last century or so, uh, a guy named Carl Barth. Carl was a great, uh, he was lecturing at the uh, University of Chicago. And at the end of the lecture, the president came up and said normally that uh, Dr. Barth would take questions, but he's a little uh, weary and, and not able to. So I'm just going to ask one question uh, for all of us. And so he, he decides to ask this one question, and he turns, and he says to this theologian, of all the things that you've had insight about, of all the hundreds of pages that you've written about Scripture and Bible truth, what do you consider to be the greatest thing, greatest thought of all? Well, he thought about it for a second. He closed his eyes, and, um, and then, you know, all the students are prepared, got their pen, pens and pencils ready to take down verbatim this incredible statement that he's about to make. He thought a minute, then he smiled and said, the greatest thought, insight that I've ever had is this, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Uh, my friends, I want to tell you that the gospel of Christ is the greatest love story ever written. A love story for you. Don't you, aren't you thankful that Christmas shows up once a year, every year, to remind us that God isn't in the business of just tallying uh, books and ledgers. God is not just thinking about your status or position in life. I mean, if God were concerned about all those things, the Christ would never have been born in disagreeable circumstances that we read about in the scripture. No way. Christmas is the beginning of a classic love story between you and God. It's got all the ingredients of a great love story infatuation, pursuit, risk, relationship. In all the relationships of love, you know, there has to be this first meeting. Do you remember your first meeting with someone that, that you loved? Maybe you tell that story. I, I used to think when I was younger, you know, I felt like I, I really was blessed to have the parents that I have and to have the, uh, the family that I grew up in. You know, you just feel so blessed and honored. And I, I used to think, well, I wonder what if I had been married, uh, excuse me, uh, in, born into some other family. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know that same experience. I think about me and Kim and, you know, how we met as teenagers. And, um, you know, I thought, what if we never met? What if we had never come across each other and our, never, our paths had not crossed? We might not have known the, the love and the life that we shared together. You know, Christmas is a crossing of paths between God and us, an intersection between us and God where it's, it's our first meeting with him. God who has desired uh, to be with us from the very beginning. If it weren't for Christmas, we might have never known the intensity of the love that God has for all of us. We think about Mary and Joseph 
far from home uh, because of imperial rule, a peasant mother uh, giving birth in unsanitary setting. There was no fanfare, no royal delegation. They just laid him in a manger and they watched his little face and listened for his breathing just like every parent does with a little child. No, this couldn't be anything but true love. True love accepts the one we love for who they really are. God chooses to love us precisely because he created us. We belong to him. Not because we got favorable things to offer to him or that we're so morally perfect. No, Mary and Joseph, you know, you look at them and they had nothing to offer God for the salvation that he was offering to them and to us. You know, God waited patiently for one to be born into the world who would be willing to finally embody the love that God has for us. Not some of the time, not just when it's convenient or when you can, but in every waking, breathing minute of every single day, you are loved by God. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Christmas is love. I mean, who, who would have ever guessed that this crossing of paths between God and us, the divine and the human, would take place so long ago in a remote little speck of a town, Bethlehem of Judea. I mean, who would have guessed in that time and place one would be born into our world that would one day fill our life with the, the experience of God, the presence of, of God in the Holy Spirit, and that today thousands and thousands, even millions, would come to claim that they actually had a, a, an encounter with God in person. This is the night in the little town of Bethlehem when God and humanity are, are united and joined together, kind of like a, a bride and a groom on their wedding day. It's recognizing that God has moved in us and that Jesus grew up and went out into the world and became the sacrifice for our sin. We find that Jesus uh, represents God's love, love that doesn't demand perfection, that forgiveness isn't given sparingly, but recklessly and freely, and that unconditional really means unconditional love. That's the love of God for us. And we find ourselves uh, in the midst of that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not death, life, angels, principalities, things present, things to come, no depth, no height, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that we find in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it all starts at Christmas. You know, Christmas is not great for everybody. Some people, sometimes we have great joy at Christmas. Other times people feel sorrow, people that they've lost, uh, memories of, of people that they care about. I mean, people often think about failures and hardship and suffering that comes about uh, in their life. I, I heard about uh, this youth group that was performing a little manger scene at their church. Um, Joseph and Mary and all the characters were there in all the typical uh, dress. You know, most of the characters were serious and committed to their parts. Then here came the, shep the shepherds. You know, they're in bathrobes, no shoes, towels wrapped around their head. Um, and they, they come walking in, and one of the shepherds kind of nudges up against Joseph, and uh, he says to them, thinking he's whispering, but everybody hears, and he says, Joseph, when are you going to pass out the cigars? 
So um, everybody's chuckling, and then they're laughing, and there's an angel, and she's standing up on a chair in the back, and she is laughing so hard. She cannot <laughs> She laughs so hard that she falls off the chair. And while she's falling, she grabs all the decorations and the scenery and just pulls it all down with her. Well, there was a little manger there, and they didn't have a baby there. They had a, a light bulb um, that was lit up, so it looked like it was kind of glowing from the, from the manger scene. And all of this stuff just came piling down on the stage, and all you could see was chaos with a light bulb shining in the midst of it. I thought, that's a perfect story for the pandemic, isn't it? It just seems like everything's a total mess. Everything's around us is chaos. But I want to tell you, the light is still shining. Christmas. Christmas is spelled L-O-V-E. The love of God came to us. God sent his son to reveal how much he loves us. He came to us at Christmas. You know, love is the first and the last word for all Christians. God is love. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus reveals God's love to a whole world and to you, to all of us. God's love brings us hope when we're hopeless, help when we're helpless. God's love brings love to the lonely and the left out. God's love brings peace to the hurting, broken, sad, and persecuted. The love of God calls out to all of us. God's love, uh, God loves you in your lowest, and he loves you enough to place you in the highest place with Jesus Christ. The love of God changes us. I mean, you heard people say, God loves you as you are, but too much to leave you as you are. His name is Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That is Christmas love. The love of God compels us. God's love changes us, uh, helping us to share all that Christ has done for us. This is what we celebrate. It's Christmas. Christ, the newborn king, born to all of us. Praise his name. You, you have one who loves you. You know, as you get gifts this Christmas, you ever, you ever find people that, that love to try to surprise you? you know, I noticed that surprises don't work out very good. You know, around our place, Kim is uh, always checking on like lists. She's got lists. And she, uh, do you want this one? She, she's not much of a surprise girl. As a matter of fact, she tries to get me to tell her everything way, way in advance. Um, you know, because most of the time, if she wants something and she's not sure that I'm going to get it, then she's thinking about getting it for herself. You know how she, um, you know, I was thinking about surprises and how they go. And there's a lot of surprises in the, the first Christmas. If you, especially if you look at it through the lens of surprise, you know, God said, John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave. He gave us the gift of his son, Jesus. Jesus was the gift to us all. And it definitely surprises me. First surprise is that Jesus came at all, right? If you look at your notes there, that's the first surprise. I mean, who would think that this most precious gift uh, to save the world would come to us? Much less all the bullies all the hurtful and hateful people that you know. It's ama amazing that Jesus came at all. What a surprise. There's another surprise. A surprise is not only that Jesus came at all, but how Jesus came. 
It's the way in which the son was given that really is not only surprising, but shocking, isn't it? This is Jesus, the son of God coming to earth in the flesh. And there are certain things that if God was going to show up that we think would accompany that kind of event. It would be, wouldn't it be extravagant with a royal welcome and the whole world would turn its attention to this grand moment and all of creation has been building up and all of history hinges on this. Yet when you read the Christmas story, one surprise after another the humble circumstances that surround the birth of Jesus. You know, these surprises don't reveal that God was somehow absent-minded or that he overlooked a few details. They instead, they reveal the surprises that God was quite intentional about making a statement that we would get. Christmas says, this is how much I love you. This is love. So you think about these surprises. Luke 1.26 says, in the sixth month, that's referring to Elizabeth's pregnancy. Uh, of course, Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. Um, she's pregnant with John the Baptist. And it says, God the angel Gabriel was sent to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Well, I just want to push a little pause button right there and just say, wow, notice where God found Mary in Nazareth. It's already surprising. You know, Nazareth is like the least likely place that you would find uh, the, the, the person that's going to carry the Christ child. I mean, uh, the mother of the Messiah in Nazareth, the angel Gabriel, I'm sure he had been waiting for this assignment or when it was going to be told for him to go. And then I'm sure he wanted to go like to Athens or Jerusalem, but he shows up in Nazareth. You know, Nazareth is a small town. It was set in that time on about 10 acres of land. You know, when you drove onto this property today, it's about 26 acres uh, of land where this church is located. Um, but Nazareth, very small, a couple of hundred people, no septic, no, uh, you know, very low life expectancy. About half the population would have died at childbirth. It's not an impressive place. It's not a place about uh, that you would take a lot of notice of. I'm sure Gabriel is wondering what he's doing, Nazareth. So it's surprising but it's the place that God chooses. It gets even more surprising. Uh, Gabriel says as he appears that he speaks to the angel, excuse me, to the virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Well, if Nazareth is surprising, then in many ways, who Mary and Joseph were is shocking. Here's this poor teenage girl, small town, nothing to offer. You know, we've heard this story so much. You've heard it so much that it sounds like Norman Rockwell. <laughs> sounds like this beautiful scene that is happening. But there is nothing that Mary and Joseph could offer to gain what they were, what they were given. I mean, if you measure Mary up against the values of the world, how does she do? I mean, she has no power. She had no authority. She's a teenage girl. She's poor. Mary and Joseph are so poor. Here's how poor they were. They were to take their baby to be, be dedicated at the temple. And the law required as the first choice that a sacrificial lamb would be offered in dedication for their son. 
Well, Mary and Joseph don't have enough money to buy a sacrificial lamb, so they go with option B. Option B is some little birds that they would, that they would buy, little doves, and they would... Um, doesn't that catch you by surprise? I just thought it was so interesting. Mary and Joseph didn't have enough money to buy a sacrificial lamb for the sacrificial lamb. That's how poor they were. Joseph's not a ruler or a king. He's a simple carpenter. There's nothing about him that would catch your eye on his resume. No special education, no impressive accomplishments. It's surprising that Mary and Joseph are the ones that God chose and that it would be found in a town like Nazareth. I mean, it gets even more surprising because you keep reading and the girl God picks, she's pregnant, pregnant with the son of God. Now, Assume that Mary finds out that she's pregnant. I mean, you would think if she's got God that she's carrying, that everything would go smoothly. I mean, she's carrying the Son of God. Surely, that's going to be an easy pregnancy, that God's going to take care of the details. But man, if you read the story, it's like a train wreck, isn't it? Jesus is, his, his pregnancy, pregnancy is like a train No, No matter, I mean... You might be so familiar with it that you don't even realize. You're just shocked that pastor would say that. It's a mess. If you watch all this, Mary and Joseph, they had to go to Nazareth, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, about a 70-mile journey, and they didn't hop in an Uber and go there. They walked that thing. It's a difficult journey, especially for an expectant mother. Luke 2.5 says, Joseph went there to register with Mary. They're talking about the census who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, if you just think about the whole thing, you would think that God would somehow have made it easier. I mean, why have the senses now while she's pregnant? I mean, it couldn't be worse timing. Think about what, would it, what it would have been like for Mary. I mean, today, if you're an expectant mother in your third trimester, you know what you have to do to get on a plane? You've got to have a doctor's note. A doctor's note that says you won't go into labor in the next 72 hours. How, I don't know how they can possibly guarantee that, but that's, uh, so here's some advice they give you. Don't like reduce the stress uh, on, on the, on the trip. Try to, try to relax. Uh, he goes on to, you know, talks about eating smart and, you know, making sure you have snacks and water. Don't just carry the water, drink the water, make sure, you know, it, it, the, the guidelines encourage you to, you know, you know, they didn't have granola bars and dried fruit and bottled water, you know, I'm, make frequent stops, get out and, and stretch your legs. You, you're going to, you're going to need numerous stops along the way, stay comfortable, you know, all these kind of things that they tell you. Well, none of, Mary had it rough, right? There are no bathrooms, no rest areas. She did not have granola bars, pickles, or peanut butter, or whatever you craved. It could have been uh, a, lot worse, a lot worse time, I mean, no worse timing. I'm sure she thought, God, really, right now? You know, some of you feel sorry for Mary. <laughs> I feel sorry for Joseph. I mean, these can't be optimum travel conditions. Uh, he's trying to make good time, but she's in the ninth month of her pregnancy and she's pregnant with the spirit of God. I mean, God's only son and you're responsible for him. That's a lot of pressure. So it's not how you think it would go. But the biggest surprise, the biggest surprise is they show up in Bethlehem, this little town, and uh, they find out that there is no room in the inn. No room for them to stay anywhere. My guess 
It took a little longer to get there than they thought. It's pretty overrun with people. And Luke 2, 6 and 7 says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. I mean, hadn't God heard about Priceline? I mean, really? Wouldn't he have made a reservation? But what we see is that Jesus is laid to sleep in a manger, a feeding trough. I mean, a crude cradle at best. We, we hear this story and we don't realize it. You know, at our house, um, we have lots of nativities. I don't think she's in here. So, um, so we got all these nativities and they're fantastic. Um, you know, but they're all so clean and nice and perfect. You know, there's no cow stuff on any of the things in the manger. You know, there's, uh, you know, it's not all, you know, all that stuff. You know, if, if, when it, you, ever had, you ever seen these Christmas candles and they smell like apple and cinnamon and peppermint? It did not smell like that on the first Christmas, I'm telling you. Uh, that stable did not smell like that. I mean, we talk about it like it's this perfect event, but it was not a perfect event. You can just see how different. We're just so familiar with this story. So just for a moment, think, think through some of the surprises of Christmas, and there are more than I mentioned, and ask yourself why. Why was God thinking what was he thinking about? Why Nazareth? Why the poor shepherd village of Bethlehem? Why Mary? Why Joseph? And here's what I would say. If you look at this a little more closely, you realize that none of it is accidental or oversights, but that God is telling us something about how much he loves us. There are, there are a few surprises here, but they remind us of, of some really inc incredible truth. So Christmas teaches us that Jesus understands us more than we know. Jesus understands us more than we know. Jesus understands what you're going through. I mean, I think one of the reasons that Jesus came in such a humble way is to make a statement to us about what it's like, that he wanted to identify with our struggles. I mean, we would assume that the Christmas story would be problem-free, but it's not. Jesus' life is not problem fee. The point is that Jesus did not exempt himself from the kind of pain and problems and sufferings that we face. He could have been born as a prince somewhere in a palace with every advantage and privilege, but he doesn't do that. He's born to a poor teenage girl in a small town and laid in a manger. Why? I think it's because he wants to say to you at Christmas, I know what it's like. You might be struggling financially pretty discouraging to some of you, but I want you to know that I've been there. I'm going, I'm recognizing that Christmas may not be what you hoped for, but I think Jesus would say, I know what that's like. I grew up poor. I never even had a place to lay my head. Or some people say, maybe they, they would say, well, you just can't catch a break. I always feel like there's always two strikes against me. I can't get ahead. I thought last year that this year was going to be better, but I just can't catch a break. I think Jesus might say, well, I spent my first night in a stable with animals out in the weather laid in a manger. Maybe this time of year, the holidays, maybe your family doesn't understand you. Maybe they don't understand your faith in Christ. Maybe, I mean, Jesus might say, whew, my mother and my brother and my sisters for a time there, they just didn't get me either. Or maybe you feel like some friends that you had have kind of turned your back. Jesus would say, I know about that as well. He knows about having our closest friends abandon us when we really needed them. He did not exempt himself from anything. He lived his life. He felt and experienced what we experienced. 
Here's why it matters. Hebrews 4 says that Jesus lived where we live because he has gone through what we've gone through, because he's felt the pain and troubles and challenges that we face. And that now in heaven, he is there and empathizes with us. He experiences what we experience. He prays for us. He knows what it's like. He knows it because, and we, he knows that because he has experienced it, he can, we can go to him. The Bible says we can approach the throne of grace. We can talk to God with confidence, knowing that he will be our help in our time of need. Christmas is love. Do you see how much difference it makes? Because Jesus was born that first Christmas, we can know what he's like. He's going to help us because he's felt our pain in the world around us. Jesus understood way more than than we think or realize or know. Uh, Number two, uh, we're going to look at a second thing that we learn or we learn from the the Christmas season and recognizing that um, Jesus teaches us that we can uh, not only know and understand, but recognize that he um, feels what we have felt. He knows where we are. We know um, that he knows our struggles and our need, and we're moving on a little further. So um, we we come to the the second point, and the second truth is that in these surprises, we see that Jesus cares more than we think. Jesus cares more than you think. You know, you can tell how much a person loves you based on the sacrifices they're willing to offer on your behalf. Do Do you think that's accurate? Uh, how somebody sacrifices because they love you. You know how much you've been loved by a person based on their willingness to sacrifice. Jesus came into the world offering sacrifice. Not sacrifice as little as possible, but as much as possible. He goes not from heaven to a palace. He goes from heaven to a manger. And in doing that, I think he's making a statement about how far he's willing to go to show us his love. Philippians chapter 2 reminds us that Jesus didn't take any special privileges. 2, 6 through 8 says, Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in the likeness of man and found in appearance as a man he humbled himself. Jesus didn't hold on to his glory in heaven. He, he laid those things aside. And why does he do that? For one, to set an example for us of the humble life that he's called us to live. And in the way he comes and in the statement about how far he's willing to go on our behalf. Uh, I heard about this married couple and the wife is preparing their meal for dinner and he's coming that way for dinner and he stops and he notices that she's getting the table already. Well, she comes to the table and he's watching and she doesn't know he's watching and uh, she comes to the table and she's got this two different, uh, two liters of Pepsi. And so the first one he notices is that's one, the one that's been in the refrigerator for like two weeks. And it's got just a little bit, maybe just a cupful left in the bottom and it's flat and he, he knows it's not going to be good. So she takes that bottle and pours one of the glasses and empties out that Pepsi bottle and throws it away. And then she opens that other one. Oh, it's fresh. It's nice. And she pours that glass and he's thinking, wonder which one she's going to give me. So as, as he's walking into the dining area, 
he notices that she takes that flat glass of Pepsi and puts it at her table, her plate, and takes that fresh Pepsi and puts it at his plate. And he says, I don't know if I've ever felt more love. I kind of went, it's just Pepsi. He said, oh, no, no. It said something about how she feels about me, her love for me, expressing appreciation and gratitude. That, that's how the story of Christmas is really all about, right? The love that he had. Jesus gave up everything for you, sacrifice for you. As you read the Christmas story this week, uh, this Christmas season, it makes a statement to us about the sacrifice and the love that Jesus has for us. One last thing. We learn that surprise, the surprise of Christmas teaches us that Jesus can do more than we realize. Jesus can do more than we realize. We're surprised by Christmas, but we would expect him to choose a big city or be in a prominent place, be a, not in an unlikely place where overlooked people. Why does he do that? He does that. Jesus is born in Bethlehem because he could be. He could be. He's God. He could do anything he wanted, right? He doesn't need all the extra. All this extra stuff that we need uh, that seems impossible, uh, he turns it into Christmas. You know, Jesus takes all the chaos and turns it into something beautiful like Christmas. He can do that. He can come to a person that seems like they don't have much to offer, and he can change the world through them like he did Mary and Joseph. That's what he does. So we read the story and we think, why Mary and why Joseph and why Nazareth and why Bethlehem? And here's what I, I'd say. The very thing that you think your life is right now that is too difficult or you have too many problems that might disqualify you from being used by God, I just want to tell you that's not true. If God can use Mary and Joseph, he can use us. He's all about that. He shows up in places of weakness and humility and demonstrates his power and strength. You know, Mary and Joseph didn't look too impressive on paper. She didn't have any special accomplishments. They didn't have any great possessions. The one thing that we know about her, and we don't know a lot, is that she had a humble spirit. So when the angel said, you've been chosen among all women to be the mother of Jesus, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord. It has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She was just a humble girl. You know, I'd say that, you know, one of the biggest challenges uh, is sometimes recognizing the power of spiritual discipline in your life, that God is calling you, that God wants to work through you. God, I'm in a situation here that just seems impossible and I don't know what to do, but you do you know, we don't realize how great God is personally in our lives. He takes our mess and he brings it all back together. And Mary just humbly puts her, her trust and strength in the power of God. You know, I think sometimes Mary could have been prideful. She's the one that God chose. I mean, if that could have been a source of pride. She raised a perfect son. You know, she could have had a bumper sticker on the back of her car that said, like the back of her chariot that said, my son created your honor roll student. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't have that. She was a humble person. Uh, and that qualified her to be used in an incredible way. So what would be your challenge this Christmas? 
What would God surprise you with? His power. I noticed that God comes and works through us when we acknowledge our own weakness. I mean, maybe things are hard for you. I just want you to be reminded that God can use you. God can work through you. God has the power to do just what you need him to do. We're going to close the service with uh, a prayer. We're going to pray together, and then we are going to think about uh, Christmas. Hallelujah. As we respond uh, to God. So this Christmas, I don't know what you need. I don't know what's on your list. But I hope that God will give you exactly what he gave Mary and Joseph. He totally surprised them. He surprised the shepherd. I hope that he surprises you. So would you bow? Let's pray. God, uh, your ways are not our ways. Most of the time, we wish they were. We don't always understand how everything is working. We sometimes see the chaos, but we know that you are present. But as we reread this Christmas week, the Christmas story, as we see how you came and responded, Lord, renew our confidence, put our trust in you. I pray that every one of us would find ourselves closer to Jesus Christ this week than maybe we've been all year long. May we realize that the light of Jesus is still shining. And may we, Lord, come to you with great words of praise, words of hallelujah that offer our thanksgiving and our praise to you. Let your hallelujah, your yes to God, it goes like this. I heard about this baby boy who's come to earth to bring us joy. And I just want to sing this song to you. It goes like this. The fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, and the major lift. With every breath, I'm singing hallelujah. 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 came to Bethlehem expecting child they searched the end to find a place for you were coming soon there was no room for them to stay so in a manger filled with hay God's only son was born oh by night to see this baby wrapped in light a host of angels led them all to you it was just as the angel said you'll find him in a manger bed Emmanuel and Savior hallelujah 
shone bright up in the east to Bethlehem. The wise men three came many miles and journeyed long for you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for all the surprises. But I pray, Lord, that whether we're watching from somewhere around the world or seated right here in this sanctuary, that this Christmas will be filled with our hallelujah that Jesus came and showed us that Christmas is love. In Jesus' name, everybody said together, amen.